Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I'm the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. And joining me today is a Bitcoiner boomer. And my goodness, does he have a few stories to share with us. I really appreciate him reaching out and uh, us getting into a conversation. And we decided to record this one on the fly. So it was a brilliant uh, off-the-cuff rip. And I just sat back and let Bubba go and tell me about his his life story, which I really hope you guys enjoy as well. Now, Bubba, he's class of 2020, but he's been searching for something like Bitcoin for decades. And he takes us through that journey. And I think you're going to love this one. And please go interact with him on Twitter. He'd be happy to, to have you in his DMs. Uh, before we get into this one, let's make sure I do the, uh, the usual housekeeping coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. That's where you can go start stacking some sats if you're based in the UK. If you are in the US, go check out swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten. If you want to know more about how you can dollar cost or fiat cost average your way into Bitcoin, make sure you go and check out at Friar Hass on Twitter. He has all the DCA services listed. So find the closest one to you and start stacking your sats. A shout out to Jim Reaper, who built the website, which is now live, once-bitten.com. You can go and check out the sponsors page there. You can learn a little bit about me and you can listen to all of the episodes as they as they get uploaded. They, they sync you know, straight up to the website. So that might be an easier way for you to share around the show with your friends. Just click the URL and share that straight over to whoever you might um, be trying to red pill. Uh, and of course, the usual thanks to at Adam Woodhams one for producing the show, putting all of this together. And a big shout out to the boys over at 21ism. They've got some crazy stuff going on. The, their launch of their own site is imminent, if not already launched. And thanks as always to at Hodler Than Now for the music and uh, all the work you're doing, Sabatas. Let's get into this. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Really appreciate it. Enjoy this one. It's a, um, a journey through time with, uh, with Bubba, and I hope you enjoy it. Take care. Hey, guys. Welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. And joining us is at Redneck on Twitter. Otherwise, um, he uh, is also known as Bubba. So, Bubba, thanks for joining us, and thanks for reaching out. Thank you, man. I did. I didn't expect this to happen on our first phone call that I was calling you, but <laughs> it's good. <laughs> <laughs> and Lauren is here to ask the all-important first question. Um, the only one that matters. Um. <laughs> uh, so, why did you decide to? Uh, I mean, what did you do? Sorry. Like, I drive a truck. I drive a lorry, as you guys would say. I drive a big old truck down the road here, out in the desert in America. Been doing that for about 20 years. Before that, I was a Harlem Davidson mechanic. Before that, believe it or not, I was a hairdresser. I owned a hair salon full of a bunch of crazy hairdressing women 
And before that, I was a, I was trying to be a rock and roll star. Cool. Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of I've done a lot of things trying to find my way through this world. And usually I try to try to not follow anybody else's lead. I take the hard road. <laughs> cool. Sometimes it's best to take the hard road. Blah, blah, blah. road. Well, if you ever see a fork in life, you know, when you come up to a fork in the road, and there's that road that ever there's that road that you see everybody going down. Never take that road. It's the easiest one, but it's no fun. It's that hard, bumpy road that nobody's on. That's the one to take if you want to have experience, you know. But it is not easy that way. <laughs> and when did you uh, know about Bitcoin? <laughs> well, I just I, I knew about it when it first started. I didn't understand it because I, I, I barely can email. <laughs> I'm amazed I got this hooked up right that we're doing right here. Uh, I, and if I didn't know how to email, I never would have met my wife because my wife is from the Philippines and I'm from America. And we found each other through email. Thank God for that. Uh, and that's the extent of my use of computers because they never interest me. I, I'm more like a hands-on guy. I like engines. I like sports. I'm just hands-on, uh, music, playing the guitars. Nothing on the computer interested me, and it still hardly does it, except maybe YouTube videos, and I can listen to podcasts of everybody else while I'm driving down the road, but I really wouldn't. I There's moments in every day I wish all this stuff would disappear and we'd go back to, the only people we met and knew was face-to-face -face talking in person. But I'm old. That's my problem. <laughs> um, and that got me down the rabbit hole. The rabbit hole I actually went down years and years before, but there was no such thing as Bitcoin. It didn't exist. Because I, when, I, when I went down the rabbit hole, it was like 19... What year did I read that? About 1985. I read a book called Atlas Shrugged. And the only reason I read it was because a really cute girl told me to read it. I was still playing music at the time. So I was I was a usual guy. And she said, read it. And she was cute. And I thought it would get me a date. Never got me a date. But it opened my eyes, flipped my world. And it, it made me realize everything I had been doing now I had something to sort of tether it on. I, I, I was sort of twisting in the wind. I was a weirdo my whole life. I walked out on college economics. They started teaching the Keynesian stuff. And I didn't really know what Austrian was, but I sort of knew. All I knew was that what they were teaching me was not right. And I went home from class one day and I said, well, that's it. I'm done. And I called up mom and dad and said, I'm quitting school. <laughs> and they said, what are you going to do? I was a finance and econ major. And they said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm starting a rock and roll band. And that was it. And the rest of it is history. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds brave. Great, cool, and amazing. <laughs> yes. It, it's led to a lot of stories, a lot of stories and a lot of memories stuck up in the old, the old noggin here. And, and which is good, which is good because way back then when I was playing music, 
Nobody had a cell phone. Nobody had a camera. So all those stories I can deny. <laughs> There's no proof. <laughs> you have any more questions? Um, no. So, um, have a good morning and bye. Bye. See ya. Nice to meet you, Lauren. Nice to meet you too. Thank you. <laughs> Bubba, let's just try um, audio with without your earphones for a second, because I, I suspect it might be better if you just turn those All up right. and back to the phone. Let's see. How's that? Oh, it's about the same. I think, um, yeah, perhaps we'll, perhaps we'll stick with that. Um, all right. Yeah. So we, we were talking a little bit before. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, do you want to give a, a backstory as to, to how we got connected and why we got connected and, um, just trying to join that, join those dots for the listeners. And then, then we'll take it way back. Cause I got questions of, about the rock band and dropping out of college and 1985. <laughs> oh, all that good stuff. Yeah, well, it, it's simple. Uh, back in back in March, when the world went nuts, so did I for a little while. But at the same time, I got a, a free book, like a, a Crypto 101. It was all about shit coins and a little bit about Bitcoin. And because of where I was already at, I already knew that made sense. And I knew what Bitcoin was. So I never fell down the shit coin thing. I never did any of that crap. And... So then I started finding podcasts, found Brady. That was the first one I found was, was Citizen Bitcoin and then listened to all that shit. And I started bouncing around. And then I, I'm not sure. I don't know how the heck I found yours, except it was probably through Twitter. And when I found yours, I was listening and I could go to myself. I was like, well, this is interesting because it's a different thought process. It's from the other side of the pond, so to speak, and with your background. So I was very interested in it, but you came across very personable. So when I decided that I was going to maybe go into this whole stupid podcast thing, I was like, who can I shoot a message to first? And that was it. You were it. I didn't even think uh, Brady, Brady and Guy Swan were the first podcast but when i thought of who can i shoot a message to that will probably respond about my questioning query about a podcast so i'm gonna i'm gonna princey and plus we had talked a little bit on twitter and the thing that always was i guess with yours was well i've got a beer your your podcast was i've always got a beer and i went man after my own heart i can take that <laughs> so there you go it was it's really it's really that simple. I don't look too deep into shit. When I feel it, I just go with it. <laughs> well, thanks very much. And sorry, I don't have a beer with you right now, but it's what, what time are you right now? You're uh, it's 3.30 a.m. And I should have had a beer, but I drank all my beer yesterday when I got, or, or this morning, because morning, morning was when I got off work and I, I had a, six pack or so and when i woke up this this uh, evening that six pack was gone yesterday so i got no beer because everything's closed up at nighttime you can't go nowhere <laughs> and for me it's um just about midday on a sunday so 
I know. Maybe I could have snuck one in, but uh, this was, yeah, this was an unplanned event. So uh, we were just um, shooting the shit and decided, well, you know, whatever. Let's let's start recording this because I think it's very very important that people like yourself. And do you do you, do you mind telling people how old you are? Oh no, I'm I'll be fifty eight in a few months. So I'm I'm closer to fifty eight than I am fifty six, and I think even fifty seven. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 57, knocking on 58's door. Right. So, yes, I'm a a dreaded boomer. But I always like to say, well, I was born in 63. That's the year that, you know, nothing really happened. Kennedy got shot, I guess. (laughs) You know, I joke about that because that was really the, in my eyes, the end of America started then. process really, we went into high gear. But I've always related more to the Gen Xers, that that little angry group that has no home. Even though I'm in the boomer range, because I guess it ends at 64, the, born in 1964. But I, I've never really related as much. Boomers was what I grew up fighting in my eyes. That whole world that I knew was was crap it was bullshit my parents they lived great off of that world and it it gave me a great upbringing because cash was never a problem we had money i come from a pretty wealthy family believe it or not um i grew up never wanting for nothing now i was lucky that my dad and mom both came from the farm so i always love to tell the story my dad I wanted Led Zeppelin four really bad. And this is when albums only cost seven bucks. Now, back in the seventies, just to give you an idea, my dad was making 20,000 bucks a month in the seventies. So we weren't, we weren't cash poor, right? It took me two conversations of an hour each, basically in his office, convincing him not why I wanted Led Zeppelin four, but why I needed Led Zeppelin four. So I learned the value of a dollar from because it went this way every time I wanted money. All right. Now, I don't give a shit why you want it. Why do you need it? And so that made me learn. So thank God that that happened in my life, because otherwise I would have grown up like so many other ones just thinking, oh, money's just there, you know. But instead, me and my brother both, we had to use our brain to get money out of dad. We had just. (laughs) This was never given to us. And uh, every once in a while we had to do chores and stuff. But he said, he said, I want my boys not to have to use their hands for a living. I want them to use their brain. Well, I blew that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think your dad would probably, it would be brilliant if, if he could have a, a conversation with my teenage daughter. Because I say to her every time she wants something, wants something. I, my first question to her is, is it a want or a need? Yeah. And come back to me if it's a need. And the sales pitches I now have to sit through. I've, I've created this monster myself, but I get, ah, oh, it's so, I mean, I know it's going to hold her in good stead, but some, it's so exhausting sometimes. The sales pitch on a new pair of jeans or a new pair of trainers or like, oh, what did she need for school the other day? A sales pitch on a calculator that has this specific button, which her, 
her, te her mathematics teacher has told her it needs to be this specific thing and cost like 85 euros. I'm like, there's no way in the world, there's no way in the world you are ever getting me to believe that you need this specific calculator. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that one. Um, so yeah, just to, um, she, she's, she's the oldest and, uh, she's chosen to, to go through school. Uh, whereas the other three are doing the online led self-education thing, which is, uh, another, another weird dynamic in our household. But you said before you dropped out of college and, um, I hate that word dropped out. And I think it's got to be changed to opt. You opted out of college because it was a choice, right? It's a choice that you make and you make these choices with the information you have at hand at the time and you should be applauded and um, uh, given uh, respect for making these kind of decisions where this still, to this day, it still gets called, you dropped out of college and it carries all of this horrible social baggage with it. So could you tell for anyone that's listening, you know, younger, perhaps millennial Zoomer age that are questioning the education system, which now costs them 200 grand, whatever it is, uh, you know, your, your experience with that and um, perhaps help put their mind at ease? Well, yeah, I like to, I like to think of most institutions. I'm, I'm kind of a, a weirdo. I think most institutions are, they're basically like jails. They're, they're penal colonies. So I don't like to say I dropped out. I left on my own recognizance. <laughs> I just left because, and this will, this will scare you. Uh, back when I was in school, this would have been 1981, a semester, and I was paying out-of-state tuition, was 900 bucks. 900 bucks at Arizona State University. That was it. So you could actually work your way through college. You could do all that stuff and leave college without any debt. But what, what happened to me, I was an econ and a finance major. I was always, numbers have always been my thing. I think math is, I think math is all life. Even music, you look at those dots on the, on the thing, uh, on the, the, the cliff, it's, it's dots, it's math. Everything's math in my eyes. But anyways, I just, when I got there after high school, high school was a high school was, it was just it's a party. That's all high school is. Anybody that has trouble getting through high school, I don't understand because I never took a book home and yeah, there you go. You know, it's just fun. It's like a daycare center. Uh, but when I got to college and I got in these classes, I was just like, wow, this is, this is not right at all. This just, this isn't right for me. It's not making sense. I know what we're supposed to do. And especially in my econ classes, I was like, that's because it was Keynesian. I didn't really know what Austrian was at the moment, but I just knew that that made no sense at just none. And in finances, this is the best. It's like second, I remember this vividly, second or third week of my freshman first semester in a, some finance class. This was the 80s, just starting, right? And the, the, the professor says, if you can get yourself a million dollars in debt, that means you're a millionaire. <laughs> That's what he said. 
That's what he fucking said. Excuse my French. He said, if you can get yourself that much credit, it must mean you're worth it. So you're a millionaire. And I'm just shaking my head at that going, what? You know, I'm did, I, I look at myself as sort of a, 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 I grew up, like I said, I grew up in a wealthy family, but I spent all my time at my grandparents' farm. I just like farming. I like that hard work. So my grandfather is really who instilled the real thoughts in my head, not so much my immediate family. And I just sat there and went, Grandpa would just laugh at that because Grandpa went through the Great Depression. Grandpa only had a sixth grade education. He had to go to work, you know, back in the Great Depression. So here's the man with no education making more sense than all these vaunted professors and stuff. And I just went, ah. So I stuck around because college was fun. You know, it was a party every weekend and I was, I was having fun. And plus, I was a Midwestern boy from Indiana, and I was in Arizona State, and all the California girls that wanted to scare and piss off their parents went to Arizona State. I had never seen this kind of girl in my life. And I was like, oh, Lordy B, I'm 18, and look at that. It was like the Beach Boys song, California Dreaming and all that stuff, right? I was in. But, you know, after a year, I just said, well, and I called up the parents, I got uh, saying, I called up the parents said, I'm done. I'm not going to do this. And they said, what are you going to do? And that's when this weird road I'm on, I, I said, I'm starting a rock and roll band. And that's what I did. I'd never played guitar in my life and never sang in a band or nothing. I always liked it. I sang along with the radio. So I figured how hard can it be? <laughs> so I learned how to play like three or four. I learned, I went to one guitar lesson. And, uh, if you know, uh, uh, Bob Seger's old song, Night Moves. Do you know that song? You're going to have to sing it. Uh, <laughs> working on the night moves. Trying to lose some awkward. It's a Midwestern. Everybody in America knows it. Anyways, it has five chords. Okay. I'd, I'd heard the Beatles say all you needed was four chords. So I learned this one song that had five chords. And I went, okay, I know how to play. I can write a song, too. And I just never went back to another lesson and just taught myself how to learn how to play guitar, put a band together and had fun for a decade. Just that's, that's what I did. Every once in a while I'd have to get a part-time job bartending somewhere or screen printing a shirt, or I was running pizza delivery, whatever I had to do to make a few extra bucks because I didn't want to play in the rock and roll band that I, all of them that I put together. I didn't want to play cover material so much and be like a human jukebox. I was writing songs. So half of our set would be originals and half would be cover songs. Well, you don't make much money doing that, but you have more fun. You gain a real audience because you're trying where that may sound strange to a younger crowd today, because all the bands go out and play originals, man, back there in the day you couldn't hardly get hired unless you played nothing but top 40, what was on the radio all day long. So didn't do that, you know, just kind of fought the system and had fun being rebellious, I guess. Reminds me of that scene in the Blues Brothers where they turn up and, uh, and play that gig ahead of that other band that was supposed to come. <laughs> we played both kinds, country and Western. <laughs> yeah. Rawhide. <laughs> yeah. 
Awesome. I've had. I got a question then. You, you mentioned your, your your father was earning some like incredible money, and then you go off to to university and you see through the whole thing. What was your What was your dad doing? What What was the uh, What was the business? And that was clearly giving you, without even realizing, the the the, the knowledge that that this professor it had already seeped into you, like how to run a business and how to you know manage affairs. And then this professor stands up and you see through the whole freaking facade. So what was it that, that your old man was, was doing? He was what they call a manufacturer's rep. So he represented a couple of different companies. And what it was was machining tools for factories, uh, diamond cutting tools for uh, like roadways and stuff that they put the grooves in the roadway. Industrial. He was a manufacturer rep for industrial. So he was basically a salesman uh, glorified and it was his business as Dave Gardner and associates. Of course there were no associates. <laughs> it was just, that was for tax purposes because <laughs> we would have to say we had a boat, we had a boat and every weekend we went on the boat. We were clients. The whole family was clients paid for the beer, the food, the da, 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 you know? So I learned that. I learned how taxes worked early on and how you want to pay as little as possible. Um, but I saw him because he he had a job. He 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 got his college education on a full ride academic scholarship to General Motors Institute. So he was a GM man, left that college and started working for Detroit Diesel Allison, which was part of GM. And. He'd been thinking about it, much like how we were saying earlier about how you just kind of dropped out. They all thought it was a snap decision, but he had been thinking about it. So he gave up the pension, the retirement, the whole damn deal and started out with nothing. And I can just have lived both ways. We had no money for like about three years. We lived on mac and cheese and hot dogs, you know, because that's all we could afford because dad was getting his, his thing up and running. And like networking effects, once it started going for him, it snowballed. It just took, man. So down that highway you go. But with his influence on running a business and my grandfather's common sense and my uncle's, <laughs> my uncle's sense of fun. My uncle was a cop and he had a sense of fun and he had cars, old, the muscle cars. So I had a whole three, three men in my life, and each one was different, and they all hold sway to this day in my mindset. I, I bring them up to myself. How would they do this? But to go into the college thing, it was real simple. What, and it, it's probably even worse today. You're sitting there, and you know full well, maybe I'm wrong on the percentage, 95% of what they're teaching in college is not real. It's, 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 there's an element of truth in all of it, but that's the same as a lie. Every lie has a good, a good lie has an element of truth in it. Uh, and I just felt for me, well, okay, it's going to get rough from here on out because I know when I call up and say, I'm going to start a rock and roll band, I'm cut off. The money is gone. You're on your own. And I knew that. I knew that was going to happen. And my brother, who's older than me, 
he grew up to be a dentist. He was a wet parent's dream, right? He told me, man, you leave college, you're fucked. Mom and dad are going to just throw you off to the wolves because you're not living their dream. And I said, well, that's fine because it's not my dream. And, and if I have to take my lumps, I'm going to take it. I'm going to do things my way. And I pretty much set forth the rest of my life. I don't do, I don't do anything I don't want to do. I just don't because I, I've got enough friends that have done that. And I don't, I don't see them that happy. And they may have oodles of money and oodles of stuff. What they don't have is happiness. They don't have it. And happiness, I think, is worth more than, <laughs> it's worth more than Bitcoin, really. Uh, but Bitcoin helps in this, in the real world that we're working in, Bitcoin helps give that, that, that hope of happiness. If you don't have it, all it's, all it does for me, it just goes, it solidifies my whole life. Bitcoin solidifies what I already thought. And it's like, Oh, now I've got something to hold on to. I've got it. And it's an anchor. That's what Bitcoin is. It's an anchor to me and my wife. Uh, it's really hers because my wife is 18 years younger than me. So I'm going to die long before her. And it's for her is what it's for. It's not for me. I, ever since I met her, I don't really think I've ever worked a day in my life for me again. It's my eyes. I'm working for her. Uh, and that's a long story with, with how that goes because where she comes from, where I come from, she comes from from third world, no running water, the real deal, right? But she wasn't here in the States four months, riding around in that truck with me, looking out at America, right? And she says to me, it's true. Everybody in America owns everything or everybody in America has everything. They just don't own any of it. And I said, You've only been here four months and you got life figured out way more so than everybody you know and everybody in this country and everybody in the world having all that stuff. But if you got payments on it, you don't, none of it's yours at any moment they can come and take it. So I was real big against that. What I called slavery. I didn't want to, and it says it in the Bible somewhere. Debt is slavery. Well, I didn't want to be a slave to nobody especially my own stupid self because we don't have any debt. We live completely debt free and have for a long while. And it's, it's amazing how easy the world is when bills don't show up in the mailbox. When you go to your mailbox twice a week and there's no mail in it, that's nice. I love it. <laughs> you know, so that's, it, it's a freedom thing. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm real. I'm, I, I guess from the American aspect with the American mentality, I will die for freedom. I'll go out in a blaze of glory. I won't just give it up. So. Well, man, it's, uh, it's great. That's um, like, I think you said before you, you fell down the rabbit hole in 1985. And <laughs> it's just, it just, Coin safety net wasn't there at that point, but now here it is. But um, just to um, kind of round out on, on what we were talking about, 
did when you did leave the uh, when you did leave the college, were you cast adrift? Would you say from from the family? Did that cause a rift, or was it okay? No, it 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 it, it cut me off. <laughs> they, they said, "Okay, you're on your own, kid," and so that was it. What really amazed me was a lot of my friends cut me off. Mm. They said, they said, you're throwing it away. This is the stupidest thing you've ever done. Who cares? And, and literally I lost, I think when it all shook out, I think I had two friends left. That was it. Everybody I thought that was a friend said, you're an idiot. You're crazy. You're stupid. What the fuck are you doing with your life? Because that's how we were all brought up. Go to college, get the job, get the wife, get the kids. Life is good. And I went against that. And it was good. None of I didn't cry about it. It's like, well, okay, that was good. Because another element happened I could tell you about. But it, it was good because you found out, I found out at almost 19 years old, ah, what is friendship? What is real friendship? So that helped all the way through life. So it was good to get that lesson at 19 instead of at 40. <laughs> you know, they maybe who you think are your friends are not your friends. It's kind of like this whole social shit in this world of cyberspace and stuff. I always say to people, how do you, I, like Facebook. I don't understand my friends on Facebook that have thousands of friends. And I'm like, you don't have thousands of friends. What do you got? Like four or five, you know, that you talk to and same thing with Twitter, but it shook it out. Get back to that. It shook it out to where I, I really was on my own because nobody I grew up with was doing what I was doing. And so adrift you fly, but I, I it made me who I am. It made me who I am, and I had no, no, I was steadfast. When I quit college, I, I, I was steadfast. I was like, this ain't the way. I'm going to find the way. I don't know it yet, but I knew who I was. At that young age, I went, this is exactly who I am. I'm going to be called every name in the book, troublemaker, stupid, blah, 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 crazy. Fine. So be it. So it prepared me for when I did go down the rabbit hole in 1985, getting called every name in the book too. And you're nuts. What are you talking about? You know, blah, blah, blah. So it will happen if anybody else, anybody at that young age, if they go against the grain of their group, the group will probably toss them off. There'll be one or two that keeps them just be ready for it. Cause it's going to happen. Who you think are your friends or, Whenever you have a, a, a life-shaking event, whoever your friends are, they'll all shake out and you'll find out. It'll narrow it down for you. It's God narrowing down the field of uh, what you need to worry about. Yeah. So Atlas Shrugged, that was passed to you in, in the mid-80s, right? Uh, so you've, you've already left the college. You're already starting down a different route. You're, you're doing the rock band thing. And someone passed yeah. through this seminal piece of work which i hadn't read up until i read that book two years ago and uh you know 
so many pieces of the puzzle started clicking into place. But you've got it there. How old are you at that stage? I would have been uh, 22-ish, 23-ish. Right. And, 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 and freely admit, it was a really cute girl that said, read this book. And I thought it would get me, you know, like I said, I thought it'd get me a date and all this other stuff. And I started reading it and I called her up, got her answer machine. And I said, Hey, I'm reading this book. She called me back and said, are you done yet? And I said, no, cause it's a long damn book. Mm-hmm. And I said, no. and she goes, call me back when you're done. So she wouldn't even talk to me. And then she had no interest in me anyways, but it was, it was so the story, it's a little long-winded in spots. But I always looked at it as sort of a psychological novel, a philosophical, that psychological is wrong, philosophical novel. And as I learned the history of Ayn Rand, it really made sense. Because I went back and read The Fountainhead, I read everything. You know, the, the whole story of her Russian immigrant stuff. But it was like, she came over to America and saw America doing just what communist Russia had been doing. But the story, the story of standing up and demanding reality was how it hit me. Demanding freedom, reality, the whole damn deal. And certain characters, everybody's read the book has their characters. They like and stuff. Mine was Ellis Wyatt because he blew up the oil fields and said, good, you can have it, take it, it's yours. I left it as I found it. That struck a chord with me. When he blew up the oil fields, I went, that man's a man after my own heart, <laughs> you know, and the character. So, yeah, reading that book and bringing me to it, and like I said, Galt's Gulch, and it had its own coin and stuff. We didn't have Bitcoin. Nobody was talking anything. Even the cypherpunks weren't here yet because we didn't have computers, really. I mean, we had them, but it was all DOS and just that. So, again, I read this book and I'm all charged up and I start talking to my friends and especially in the rock and roll community, a bunch of liberal, you know, they're just artists and they're just liberals. They're looking at me like, are you crazy? And then I started and, and, and through Atlas Shrugged, I found everything, Hayek, uh, uh all, all that Bastiat, all that. I just started voraciously reading. So by 1990, let's even say, there's still no Bitcoin. There's no Tether. There's no saving grace out there. I've read up on all this stuff, and I'm like, I can't place it anywhere. I can't. There's. I, I felt like I had no world. So I just started going along with it. And I started playing along with the real world because I was kind of sort of fighting, uh, fighting. That's when I quit the rock and roll band and began. I, I became a hairdresser and opened up my own salon. It was the same thing. I can get to see girls all day and it's art and it's not really a serious job. So let's be a hairdresser. Right. And I was, that was me going, I'm throwing my hands up. I'm just going to start playing along at least as much as I can. But being a straight guy growing into hairdressing was definitely an oddball move. (laughs) Especially with with my personality and stuff. Nobody, when I tell people to this day that know me, they're like, hairdresser, how? Yeah. Well, it was a death. 
I got years of. I got questions around this. Uh, that that is such a random random decision. Uh, and how did you did, did you did you teach yourself like how to cut how, like what was what how did you do this? Okay, remember I told you I don't think too hard about big mass decisions. I just jump in and go. I'm driving, I'm driving down Third Street, in Bloomington, Indiana. And I'm questioning life and this rock and roll thing. I'm getting older, and you know, I'd like to, I'd, I'd like to eat more than top ramen and stuff. So dude, maybe I got to go make some money. Maybe I have to start playing along with life. And I'm driving down Third Street in Bloomington, and I go, huh? And I'm looking off into a strip center. And I'm looking past the Chi-Chi's and their margarita sign and all this other shit. There it is. Hair Arts Academy. The cosmetology school. Uh, the next stoplight, I turn left and I pull in there. And not a half hour later, I'm signed up. I'm going to be a beauty. I'm going to beauty school. And I go back that night. I go back that night to rehearsal to the band. I said, okay, we've got we've got a month's worth of gigs on the books and uh that's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to quit. And they're like, ah, shit, what are you going to do? Cause it, it was, I'm it was, they were always my bands. I was a songwriter, the manager of the whole damn deal, the booking. They said, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> I said, I'm going to become a hairdresser. <laughs> and it was dead silent, dead silence. <laughs> it really, did you really there at the time? Were you like uh, the long hair rockers? I had hair almost, it was past halfway down my back, you know. <laughs> it was real long hair. Yeah. It, it was that. In that? <laughs> you know what? Did you want to throw a shaggy perm in that? What, what was the idea behind it? Uh, well, I became well, I became a test animal. I became a test animal because I went into that beauty school, and I was right. I went into that beauty school. I'm probably 28, mm-hmm. 29, 30, somewhere around there. 28 maybe every it was i was the only guy in school it was 50 girls and they're all just out of high school Mm. (laughs) and they're all like oh look it's a guy and it served me well a lot but i also because i had all that hair i became a test monkey and i kept losing my hair by the time i left cosmetology school i had a shaved head I was bald as a cue ball. It was all gone. Some of it was fried off. You know, somebody doing a perm on me, and they just fried it. And when they started pulling the shit out of my hair, it just fell. It just fell to the ground. <laughs> so I learned how not to do a perm. <laughs> I learned about I learned about chemical burns, and they do hurt. <laughs> so you do this. You, you, <laughs> And then you, how long were you doing this before you could open your salon? I, I had to go to school for a year and I was bartending that whole year. So I was asleep most of the way through school. And when I got out of school, there was one salon in town that I knew I wanted to go to just to see if I could shake it up a little bit. It was a place called Blades. Blades had five hairdressers in it all guys all of them gay (laughs) i wanted to be i wanted to be the testosterone i go into the interview the owner of the store goes 
well, you're fresh out of school, so you can do this and you can do this. I said, that's good. I want to learn from you guys. I want to learn from you guys. I want to learn hairdressing from a guy's perspective. What I'm going to do is not change who I am coming in here. So if you guys are not okay with me being ultra dude, redneck idiot, let's just not even go through the process. But I think you need me as much as I need you because they were great hairdressers. So I needed their experience and they needed me to bring them down a couple pegs. And he hired me. And for two years, it was great. I, I had fun with them. And uh, the day I left, they're all like, oh, my God, we're going to implode without you here because we'll have nobody to stop our cat fights. <laughs> <laughs> and when I went out on my own, there was a real trendy side of Bloomington because that's where Indiana University's at. So it was a college town. There was a real trendy side where all the the college people were and all the college girls with all their easy money and their free money. And they pay oodles to get things done on their hair, just stupid amounts of money. When I said I was going to open up, I went to the opposite side of town where the redneck women still had feathered hair, like the seventies and all this other stuff. And they're like, what are you doing going to that side of town? And I said, well, I think it was Andrew Carnegie that said the easiest thing in business is you find a niche and you fill it. I said, I got a feeling those women over there don't want to look that way. It's just that every hairdresser on that side of town doesn't know how to do anything else. And they thought I was crazy. Uh, You're not going to survive. Well, I did it. I opened up on the west side of town and I flourished because I was absolutely right. Those women were sick of looking that way. They wanted a new look. But the hairdressers that they knew couldn't do it. So I did it, and I gladly took all their money. It was fun. And I met great friends and had a good time. And I hired, I think I had uh, four, three. I had three hairdressers, and they were all girls. And I learned that owning a business, trying to manage that was really difficult. So after four years of that, I closed that shop. And I just opened a one one chair shop, one man shop. That was me. And it became even better for the clients because they thought they were in their own personal space when they were getting their hair done because it was not a noisy salon. It was a nice experience for them. They paid me more for that. <laughs> so I was all for it. But everybody said I was not going to succeed at that either. So there you go. I did. So now, right, so you went from college dropout to a respectable business owner. Did that build any bridges back with, uh, like, family or friends that had kind of fallen by the wayside? Uh, Somewhat, somewhat. Dad and uh, mom. Yeah, dad came back a lot better. He was like, finally, you've stopped this charade of bullshit that you've been living. (laughs) okay dad yeah he was just happy that i was doing well for myself and sort of getting in line playing the game uh but he was happy because he said to me he goes well how'd you learn how to run a business i said well watching you Mm -hmm. all those years it was easy there was nothing it's 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 just you got 
you're you're this is more this is before computers too i had my little ledger book you know i said well it's debits and credits man and that's it and you just you get more you're good he, he looked at my business and he said well you could probably do a little bit more this way a little bit more this way and la 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 and i said you're probably right i just don't want to put in that much work <laughs> <laughs> so all right so after hairdressing what what comes next and you you've got this clearly you know after the atlas shrug thing you understanding austrian economics decided to play along with the game did the hairdressing open salon one man business what came what came afterwards because bitcoin doesn't come on the scene yet for another couple of decades <laughs> well at this stage at this stage it's about what 99 no it's it's coming into 2000 it's coming into the new millennium mm-hmm. so i lived through all that 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 crazy i i i vividly remember all the crazy y2k stuff oh my god the internet's gonna quit and all this other stuff and i didn't believe any of it because i was just like well we'll just go back to pencil and paper if if you can't scan your groceries they'll just do it back on the register life's fine um but i was coming to a point i think life goes in decades i really do believe life goes in decades and it just changes well i started I've always been a motorcycle guy, and in that late part, because I had money, I became a Harley guy, and I always worked on my own motorcycles and all that other stuff, and uh, I was working on some friends in the garage and stuff, and they said, you know what, you know, why don't you turn wrenches on Harleys? You love, you love that, and I said, well, I love it because I've got a beer next to me in the garage doing it. <laughs> I don't know if I like it as a business, but... I started thinking about it and I had to get out of hairdressing, but I didn't know how to get into the Harley business. Cause this, and I found out you could no longer just walk in and start turning wrenches. You had to get certified and go to a school uh, for Harley to certify you. So none of my friends in the Harley business could even touch me. Harley wouldn't let them. Uh, so I decided to go to this school, but it's a year away. So in between all that, I started selling cars on a Ford lot and I felt like the fucking devil because I was wrapping people in. I was already against debt and all that other stuff. And I was selling, selling cars and I'm the devil. So that solidified. I, I, I went down to Florida to go to school to go to Harley school, basically. When I was in, cause, and maybe all I needed was a break from hairdressing. But when I'm down there in Florida, was I got hit. I went to the Daytona 500. I just woke up that morning and went, I'm going, I'm buying a scalp ticket, I'm going. This was the the 2001. February 18th, 2001. You're going to wonder how I remember this date. February 18th, 2001, Daytona 500. It's also the Daytona 500 where Dale Earnhardt died. If you don't know who Dale Earnhardt is, racing legend in America. Yeah. Well, on the way home that day, I got hit on my motorcycle head on by a Ford F-150 driven by a drunk driver. I was dead. I was on the roadside. 
the helicopter ride back to the hospital. I don't remember any of this. To this day, I've never even had a flashback. I died, they say, four or five times in the helicopter. I'm 38 years old at this stage. Uh, everything on me is broken. <laughs> There's very few bones that are not broken. I don't know how I survived this thing. I'm in, I'm in the hospital for, I don't know, a while. But I'm out like a light. I lost like eight days of my life in ICU. And I'm somehow in the midst of all that. I, and now we can't even remember phone numbers. But I blurted out my mom's phone number back in Indiana. Her and dad end up down there in the hospital. And I'm talking gibberish. They think I got brain damage because I'm talking gibberish. I got morphine, taps, shit. And they're pretty sure that I've got brain damage. They think I had a helmet on. I'd never had a helmet in my life till six months before that wreck. Because when I got down to Florida, people just drove like nuts. So I bought a helmet. Thank God. Uh, anyways, so I come out of that. My mom, the funniest story is my mom knows I don't have brain damage. The day that the doctor came in to take the uh, tubes out of my collapsed lungs, because they've come back up, let alone I had a ruptured spleen, but it ended up, it healed itself. I didn't have to have any surgery. So with every broken bone in my body, broken back, thank God it wasn't the spine, it was the lumbar. Every broken bone on my body, I didn't have to have any surgery. I refused all surgery. But when he's taking the tubes out of my lungs, <laughs> he says to me, and he's, he's, a, he's from East India, oh, are you a smoker, sir? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, you won't be anymore. And I said, you want to fucking bet? <laughs> and my mother is off in the corner and she says hallelujah my boy is fine he's belligerent and talking back <laughs> <laughs> holy crap that's <laughs> so you know i lived through that but then that fucked up when i went when i started working on harley's i would bend over to work on the bike mm. and because of my broken back and i was working on them I had casts on my wrist and stuff. I'm still turning wrenches because I don't know nothing else, you know. Just you, you got to do something. Well, anyways, I'd be leaned over, and because of my broken back, I would get stuck. I couldn't stand back up. And they would have to come over and help me get straight. So I put up with that pain for like three or four years where I, I – and to this day sometimes, my wife will tell you, if I'm bent over in a certain way, I just, my body gets stuck and I can't move without it being very painful. So I had to get out of the, the Harley business. So I went up front and did sales. I sold Harleys for a while and I didn't feel so much like the devil because it was, that's recreation selling. It's not, people need a car. They don't need a motorcycle. That's recreation. So it, it, that was kind of fun. But this now you're talking, I've been like 12 or 15 years trying to play along with the real world. And I'm not happy at all. Uh, and I wanted to, I really started <laughs> getting weird in my head. Unabomberish. 
in the sense that I wanted to disappear. This was when the disappearing and leaving things started happening. And it came to me, how can you disappear, but you still do something and make a living? Truck driving. You just get in a truck and you disappear for weeks on end. You're just back and forth. You're never around the same people. Nobody really knows where you're at. Because this is before they had satellites beaming down on the trucks and all that other stuff. So I, I went, that, that was how I went into truck driving. How can I disappear? And so I got into truck driving. And that gave me time to read books. You know, at nighttime when you shut the truck off, you're just in there reading books. No television. I, you know, I just disappeared for a little while. And that was the best thing. It re-solidified everything because when you have nothing but 24 hours a day by yourself, you can't help but think about life and what really matters, breaking it down. Because you can get on a thought and just stay there all day uninterrupted on a single subject about yourself or something you're you're thinking about but for me what it did it took me back to my rebellious days of going no i'm not going to live this life i'm going to do it my way and 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 try to find this this uh, illusion they call freedom i'm going to find it somehow or another and so that's how i got into the whole trucking thing it was to find myself again and, and still no, Bitcoin. still no Bitcoin. This is 2004. There's still no goddamn Bitcoin. <laughs> and, and somewhere in here, you you said to, to Lauren right at the beginning that uh, you, you met your wife via um, via the internet or via email and then disappeared for a little time. Or I don't know. What, how, where does the Philippines story tie into all of this? Well, thank God for trucking or I never would have found my wife. Is I'm looking through a little magazine in a truck stop, and I never wanted to be married, and I never was married, never got close to it. I was a confirmed bachelor, and I was happy that way. Uh, because I would get in relationships, and the minute they wanted a, you know, it was the move on to marriage and move on to kids, I just didn't want it. So it always break up. So in this magazine, it was. And plus, I figured there's no woman on earth that will not divorce me <laughs> because they'll get sick of my shit. <laughs> Just divorce me. <laughs> In the back of this magazine, it says, meet Filipinas uh, and something else about no divorce. And I'm like, well, they can't guarantee that bullshit, but. I'm going to check into this. And I look down at the address and it's an Indiana address. And I'm like, well, hell that's, that's hometown shit. So I call them up and I said, I'm going to be back in town in a week or so. And I'm going to drive the two hours North to see you. And I want to talk to you because it's a, it's American man with his Filipino wife. So I do that. I go up there and I talk to him. And there's as normal as pumpkin pie. And this is, you know, the internet's there, but we don't have social media and all that stuff yet. 
So what it was, was they literally take my profile down and they take it back over to the Philippines or they send it over to their relatives over there and they only distribute it to churches, schools, and hospitals. So either church people, school teachers, or nurses. And I'm like, well, okay, do you need a picture? They no, we don't even want pictures because we don't want anybody. They just want to read it. And if they want to contact you, you put your email down and la, 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 la. Well, it, I'm still not there yet because they wanted a certain amount of money to join. And it's a lifetime join. You could use their services for however long it took you to find a wife and blah, blah, blah. But the, the goal was to find a wife. So they gave me the number of what it cost. And at that point, I, I lived on a river and I had a pontoon boat for drinking beer on and stuff. Well, it needed a new engine. And I had to sit there and weigh out. Wife, new engine for the boat. <laughs> and, and you know the first time around I picked the new engine for a boat I needed that engine because I can't enjoy drinking beer unless I'm floating on my party barge out on the river it's just the way it is <laughs> so I, I picked the engine <laughs> and in the meantime getting another goddamn relationship that goes to shit and I went I gotta find that call them back up so I called them back up okay I'm in this time I pay the money and they said, okay, uh, within a week, your email box is going to be filled up mm -hmm. with emails from Filipinas. I'm like, yeah, right, whatever, whatever, sure. Well, they weren't lying. <laughs> a week later, all of a sudden, this email box I just set up specifically for this purpose had 80 emails in it from 80 different girls over in the Philippines. And I'm like, oh, I'm not a multitasker. I don't know how to ask, how the hell do I do this? So I start clicking on them and reading them, and they're almost all saying the same thing. Oh, I'm a good cleaner. I like to do chores. I clean the house and da-da-da. And I'm like, okay, that sounds boring, boring, boring. And so nothing really that first day, but I sent a few back saying, well, maybe we can strike up a conversation, blah, blah, blah. The next day, there's 90 more damn emails in that email box. Oh, God. <laughs> the second or third one I click on, I read it. The second or third one I click on says, I know I'm the Filipina for you. I like those cycles too. And blah, blah. And her email just made me laugh. It was the first one that made me laugh. And I went, okay. We're on to something here. I email her back. This is on December 27th. It was the 27th or 29th. I can't remember. 29th. She gets my reply. And she says, oh, do you have Yahoo Messenger? Well, you know I don't, but I go figure out how to get it. <laughs> I, I figure out how to get it. So here comes New Year's Eve. I had had plans to go out with friends and uh, another New Year's Eve I'm not going to do. So I actually stayed in. And that night, and that night on my laptop, which I bought again, I was trying to get back into the real world. This is like 2007. 
I bought a laptop. I still didn't know how to do nothing. I still don't know how to do nothing. And I had it, and it pops up. Cresty wants to talk to you. Her name's Cresty, like the toothpaste I eat. Anyways, they misspelled it on the birth certificate. It stayed Cresty. It was supposed to be Christy. What are you going to do? Third world. Third world. It says, Cresty wants to talk to you. The next thing I know, it's morning. <clears throat> we had we had talked for, I don't know, six, seven, eight hours. Just talk. No pictures, no nothing. I don't I still don't really know what this girl looks like. <clears throat> but the morning comes, we're done talking. Cause it's morning my time. She's over in Thailand at that time teaching school. <clears throat> she's got to go to, she, she's uh she's gotta go to bed. It's next time. And my mom comes out because I was I was at my mom's. I was up in Indianapolis that weekend staying with her because I was going to go out New Year's Eve. I'm at my mom's and she says, oh, good morning, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, it is a good morning. I think I just met my wife. <laughs> and my mom goes, what? <laughs> you wife, you don't even want to get married. What are you talking about? And I said, well, told her the story. Oh, the next day, the next day, my wife sends me emails. At this point, she's only 27 years old. And if you know anything about Filipinas, they don't look their age. So here comes these pictures. And I'm like, whoa, she looked like she was 16 years old. She had braces and shit. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you said you were 27 and blah, blah, you know, the whole goddamn deal. But I think I'm being scammed. You know, it's the internet, right? I'm being scammed. Well, anyways, I wasn't being scammed. And again, again, jump into things without any thought process. Seven, six months later, I say on the internet to her, will you marry me? She said, yes. Seven, a month later, a month later, I'm on an airplane to the to Manila. She's on an airplane to Manila because she's coming back from Thailand. Because for visa purposes, we got to meet and all this other stuff. Long story short, we show up in Manila. <laughs> we meet face to face for the first time in a crowd of little brown people. Here's this. I was like really fat. I was like 300 pounds at that stage. Bald head. I stand out in a crowd in the Philippines, right? She finds me. That's easy. We fly back to her island where she's from, and with 24, within 24 hours, we're married. 24 hours of meeting face-to-face, we're hitched. By God, I'm on for life. Let's go. <laughs> Amazing. And I think I can hear her giggling in the background. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's laughing at it. Uh, so all so all that takes place she comes back to America and makes that one statement I told you earlier about nobody owns nothing <laughs> she says the weirdest thing to me the only debt I had really because before she could get to America I started eating top ramen and rice and beans again whatever debt I had I paid it all off got it gone out of the way the only debt I had was the house this is 2008. Mm-hmm. What happened in 2008? <laughs> the value of houses went to shit in a handbasket. 
well, I'm fine. I just call up Citibank and I say, hey, you're giving everybody else now the dirt bags of life. You're giving them, you know, uh, a new mortgage, 3% interest or 2%. I said, I'm not a dirt bag. I make all my payments. It's 6%. I just want you to adjust the, uh, adjust the mortgage to 3% interest. And they're like, well, sorry, sir, we can't do that. And I said, why? Well, you're not a distressed homeowner. And they say, I say to them, well, what's it take to be a distressed homeowner? And they said, well, you're not making your payments for one. I go, consider it done. You're never getting another fucking payment out of me. I said, if if I'm going to have to live in a dirt society, I'm going to be dirt. So I said, I said to the person at Citibank, I said, you're never getting another fucking payment from me. And guess what? Six months later, I call them up. I go, okay, I've not paid you. I have abandoned the house. I have left it. It's yours. Take it back. Oh, but sir, your credit rating and la, la, la. I said, what? I said, I guarantee you within two years, everybody's credit rating will be fine because you'll start reading credit differently. And mine will be no different. But I wanted to keep that house. You because I was not a piece of shit, made me become a piece of shit. I'm playing along again. I'm going to play along with your game. I'm distressed. They literally came and short sold the house, tried to give me some tax burden on it. And I said, nope, that's not income. I'm not paying. The house wasn't worth it. And to this day, nothing's ever happened with that. (laughs) My credit never took a hit. I'm still sitting at a, at a last I saw seven seventy five credit rating with absolutely no debt and what would be considered a foreclosure because I walked away from it and everybody's like you walked away from your house payment I go yeah why not I said imagine if everybody in this world now here's here's my anarchy side what if everybody what if everybody in this world just stopped paying just stop paying their debts. What happens to the banks? We Everybody just stops, stops playing along. And instead of letting the banks run their life, they just go, nope. And that was 2008, right? So 2009 was when I first hear about Bitcoin. It didn't make sense to me at the time. I wished it would have. I wish I would have looked deeper because right when I was screwing the banks and 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 uh, screwing the systems, I would have needed Bitcoin. And, but I didn't get it. Long story, there you go. And then disappeared in the Philippines. We tried to move over there. I had a hundred foot of Pacific Ocean beach frontage. And believe it or not, one of your brothers, your brethren from Birmingham, England was my next door neighbor. Biggest fucking asshole on earth. He made, he made our lives a living hell. And when he took a double barrel 12 gauge shotgun and shot it over my wife's head for kicks and giggles to scare her, I was going to kill the son of a bitch. Because in the Philippines, get away with murder. It's easy to get away with murder in the Philippines. I was just going to go kill him. The wife stopped me. Talk sense into me. 
and we just said, okay. And literally two days later, got a, found a buyer from my place and we were up and out. But when I was in the Philippines, I was completely offline. We had no phone signal, no nothing. You could text. You would get an old Nokia phone and get one bar so you could text, you know, maybe down the road a little bit, mm-hmm. coconut telling. And then when I came back to America, I really just enjoyed not knowing what was going on anymore. Because I came back to America two days before the, the second election of Obama, and I knew we were done. And I just didn't want to participate in play. So I still stayed offline. So the next time I heard about Bitcoin was 2017 when the run-up happened. And it still didn't make sense to me because I'm like, because I didn't look into it deep enough, right? But I said, well, if Bitcoin's supposed to be the answer to U.S. dollars, why is it priced in U.S. dollars? Why is its value in U.S. dollars? It didn't connect with me what it was because I don't know tech. I don't know shit about tech. But I, that's all I kept saying to my friends was, well, it's tied to the U.S. dollar. It's no goddamn different because I didn't know. And then long story short, from 17 to here, 2020, I had heard a little bit more, heard a little bit more. And then when Corona hit and the lockdown snapped and the world went upside down and went, okay, I'm looking at it mm-hmm. and the rest. But that rabbit hole that everybody falls down, well, I didn't have to fall down it. I found this. It, it was the philosophical, the philosophicalness, the philosophical level of Bitcoiners. And I saw that, what is value? Well, what, whatever we believe it is. And I saw, as this sailor says, the cyber hornets, <laughs> I saw those, those people. And then I started listening and all the young people that had found Austrian economics and all that other stuff, I remember I came home and I told my wife, I said, I have found my Galtz Galtz. I found my people. I've got it. We're going into Bitcoin and we're going in. She's like, what? Oh, yeah. But you said, nah, yeah, I know what I said. <laughs> but now I'm on it. So it was all the philosophical side of Bitcoin that drew me in and all of the, the, the community, I guess. And it was like, okay, Galtz Gulch, here we go. And I'm in it big time. I, I literally, 30, 35 or 40% of my weekly paycheck goes into Bitcoin. That's so, so, so literally like since March, like 2020, like I'm, this is it now. And so like class of 2020, which I keep talking about is like this amazing class of people that... They don't, and you, you, you said you picked up a magazine like Crypto 101, whatever it was, and you saw straight through the shit coinery and straight to Bitcoin. And this is what's happening with the class of 2020. I mean, Sailor's a perfect example. You know, it took him eight weeks to get up to speed and put $425 million of his company's money into it and like uh, 15 to $20 million of his, own, of his own money into it, which is, you know, what a decision to make in a matter of six to 10 weeks, whatever it was. It it took me about 12 weeks and I put in almost half our money, (laughs) but half our net worth and it's, it's in there now. And now it's just every week or every day I'm doing daily with Swan Mm -hmm. every day, now. but it's basically, it's basically 35 to 40% of my paychecks every week. It's just in there. That's just it. (laughs) You know, and I, and I'm, 
I'm absolutely positive. Like I said, and I'm a hodler. I don't, I don't even know how to take wallet out money out of my my Bitcoin wallet. I don't know how to send. I don't want to know how to send just yet. Yeah, I figure it's for when, because we plan on going back and trying to retire. We got a farm in the Philippines. We got a a chocolate farm. We grow cacao over there. Wow. And and we plan on retiring. And all that Bitcoin has done has sped us up. We think now we're on a three, maybe a three-year go-over. Um, and then we're over for good. So I figure in five to 10 years, I might start to use some of it. <laughs> I might. I may never use any of it, and it's just hers for her well-being. Because, I mean, I... <laughs> I live, I, my lifestyle is high preference. My fo- finances are very low preference. I smoke, I drink, I don't eat the right shit all the time. And a lot of, I don't, you know, I'm too old to worry about it now. Plus I like smoking and I like drinking. It's the way it goes. So I figure I've only got so many years on this life, but of course it, I'll be the, I'll be the old man at 95 with a cigarette and a glass of whiskey going, get off my lawn. <laughs> you know, the yelling some, but I figure he's going to have to live a lot longer than me, and I don't know where the world's going in those years. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. We figure it's not going good, so I want this for her that she'll never have to worry because she really, she really wants to stay back home in the Philippines. She loves this farm and her family and everything. So she's going to stay there no matter what, when I'm dead, if I died, if I died this moment within a month, she'd be home. She wouldn't be here in America. She, America was just, she didn't want to necessarily meet an American to get to America, which was good. Uh, But she came through here. She saw through all the bullshit off the beginning. She said, we may not have a lot to our name in the Philippines, but we own every bit of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So she saw through all this weirdness and the, the, the shopping at the malls and all that stuff just never mattered to her. No, you know? it's pretty sickening yeah. when, when you look through it from, from another lens. Um, so your, 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 your podcast intake is, is through the roof. Uh, <laughs> It's uh, so. What, what are you? What are you hauling? It sounds like you're hauling like um, huge amounts of of tonnage. Uh, what's well, well? I used to drive for Walmart. So, but I I was doing the Walmart groceries. I was a Walmart driver. The most money I'd ever made in my life, and it's the most money any truck driver can ever make. They didn't like me. <laughs> my personality got me fired. Literally, they fired me. Uh, it took them. They paid me full time salary for three weeks while they were investigating, which means they were getting their lawyers in line to figure out how they could investigate me. Because in one store, well, during this whole COVID, I haven't worn a mask. I'm one of those. Right. I just don't believe. Fuck you. I don't need it. Uh, it was a manager of a store was kind of mad at me. And she said, you got to put on your mask. 
And I said, yeah, because we're all going to fucking die. Next thing I know, a couple of days later, I'm getting called into the office. They send me home for three weeks to investigate if I said fuck. <sighs> and if they can. So they pay me. They pay, oh. they pay me to sit in my ass. Then they call me up. And on my year, it was my one year and one day anniversary. Mm-hmm. And they called me up. Fired. So anyways, this new company, I work for a produce company. I carry their produce, produce, uh, meat uh we are their water what i do i i I go to some of the i deliver to one of their other warehouses then in west wendover nevada i drove i deliver three casinos what they need which is french fries and produce and you know stuff then i drive on to salt lake city pick up more french fries or hash browns and start pulling them back to reno nevada but when i'm doing it i've got two trailers Total length of the truck with the two trailers is about 90 feet. So that's like 30 some meters, I think. <laughs> and it probably weighs about 75,000 pounds, which is, I don't know what in kilos, 37,000 kilos, something like that. And I got about uh, 22 wheels behind me, <laughs> you oh. know. And, and uh, but I love it. I love driving. There's when I found truck driving, I should have been doing it forever. I just, I, it, it was specifically made for this guy. I love truck driving because you're just out there on your own. It really is the freedom of the road. Uh, if you want it to be, once you find the right job and it's a great job and I love it. Uh, and when I get, and we live, we live in RVs. We own two RVs. Mm-hmm. So everything in my life is the road. I'm on the road. Right now, we're set up in an RV park because the wife wanted to get a job. So she found a job, and luckily, she's like three or four blocks away. So we're in an RV park now. We feel like we're back in society because we actually have real electricity, not solar panels. Uh, we get... Uh, we don't have a composting toilet. We have a toilet that flushes. <laughs> and we have running water that we never have to fill the tank up. So we think we're in, we're, we're like the Beverly Hillbillies. We're living big time. <laughs> wow, man. So this, it sounds like you're still striving to, to find this freedom. And yep. yeah, well, you've been closer than than most, I would say. Well, yeah, I mean, in the sense that, you know, you always hear everybody say they've got F-U money. they got fuck you money. Hmm. You don't need that much. It's not the money that you need. It's your debt level. When you have no debts and your paycheck is just for food or utility bills, you literally, the next thing you know, you've got you you've got more wealth coming out of your every orifice you got in your body. You don't have to worry about payments. So the next thing you know, you're sitting on whether it's a pile of cash or a pile of Bitcoin. But you don't have to do what you do not want to do in your life, work-wise. Uh and then with all this other stuff, because March turned the whole world upside down, we've got these 
They're not even laws. They're orders. Well, orders don't need to be followed. They're not laws. They're orders. They can't arrest you for not following an order. They can try, but you'll you'll go to you'll go to the police station, but you'll never go to court because it's not a law. So, as I say again, what if everybody just says no? Just don't play along. Uh, and I tell my wife, it's it, the way that we live our lives. This is just for me and her, and it works for us. We live our own little rebellion. I don't try to, I don't want a group following me going into the rebellion. I don't want to be responsible. But what if every individual on earth just lived their own little rebellion right now? This COVID, this COVID lockdown shit, it's, it's, it's over because it would have no power over the population. And then the, the powers that be would find out, oh, we don't have any power either. You know, it's like I always say, I have this, this crazy thought. People have told me I'm crazy all these years. July 4th is Independent Day in America, right? I always say everybody that works in the private society, from the CEOs all the way down to the janitors, takes one week off of work which means no stores, no gas station, no money's being earned or spent. Within three days, the American government would be toppling because it would be dead in the water. No taxes collected. They wouldn't know what to do. And at a week, they're going, okay, what do we need to do? Because the whole private society rebelled. And everybody's like, well, what will we do in the meantime? We go, have a barbecue and have some beers, have some friends over. Just don't spend any money. Don't do nothing to give them their money. No taxes collected because they, they will collect taxes. But if you give them no opportunity to collect taxes, they'll find out that maybe we're in power. Well, what if that happened all the way around the world? What if everybody in the private sector just stopped? Well, I don't know. But wouldn't it be fun to see it? <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> yes. And what, one, one quick question I want to ask about uh, truck driving, because it's the main thing that kind of gets bandied around when we're talking about automation and um, kind of technology taking over. And, and, and truck driving is always the, the number one thing, because it's like, I think the biggest employer in the US, I don't know wh wh whether it's that that's the correct um, uh, statistic or not. But as a truck driver yourself, what are, what are your thoughts on on that and that narrative? Well, I laugh sometimes because everybody talks about buying their passports and going somewhere else. That's great if you can make your living off that computer. But unless you're a farmer, you're going to have to go to the grocery store. And there's only one way those things get to that grocery store. They don't just show up. So there's people in the whole blue collar world in America. If truck drivers stopped driving one day, if they stopped all the trucks, they've done all kinds of surveys and stuff, insurance, all this stuff. If truck drivers, all truck drivers stopped their trucks in America within three days, every shelf would be empty everywhere. And so societal chaos would ensue. So that's just truck drivers. But, if your faucet breaks and you're not the plumber and you have no idea how to fix it, and you got water going everywhere. 
You call that guy with his crack showing, <laughs> you know, you call that guy with the dirty hands. Dirt. Did you ever see that show? Uh, Mike Rose, dirty, dirty jobs, yeah. dirty work. Yep. It's amazing how both. And you found out, remember in the lockdowns, all, all non-essential work, stay home. Well, the people that were working were us idiots with a high school education. And with a trade, we all had jobs. We all had to go to work. This world, I love automation and I love the technology and what it does. I'm not, I love it. And sooner or later, they're going to replace these trucks, drivers. They're going to be electronic trucks, which I think are great. The the autonomous truck will come. I don't know when. Because it will take a lot, it'll take a leap of faith for the public, <clears throat> the motoring public, to be driving down the road with that big ass truck beside them, and they look up and there's nobody there. That's a leap of faith in technology, right there. Uh, and it'll be the same, but you're still going to need the job. The trucks will still be there. I don't know when we, the people, get thrown out, but but plumbing. Um, the people that aren't the coders of computers, the people who build computers, uh, that knowledge, the people that, (laughs) the people that cut your yard because you're too damn lazy to push the mower. Technology can only do so much in this world. And as I told you earlier about Bitcoin, It's the engine. The engine of the world is not government. It's not technology. You could have all the technology in the world. If we, the human beings, do not put energy into it, fuel and oil, that engine doesn't run. If nobody bought Bitcoin ever, it never would be what it is right now. And the only thing it is, the technology is great and all that stuff that's springing up around it, Lightning Network and all that, that's all cool. But it's only springing up because we, supposedly the most worthless people on earth, human beings, are running it. We're running the show. We're buying it. We're investing in it. We're using it. All computers, the technology around Bitcoin, it's people. People's what matter. We kind of lose that with, with all the technology. And I know how Jeff Booth says technology is going to take over it will probably mostly take over but you're still going to have to have human beings because somebody when that technological robot breaks down somebody's got to go twist the wrench to fix the damn thing it's just going to be what jobs are left out there most of the the manual labor will still be there who's going to build a building who's going to build a house I mean, yes, you can have a computer draw a, a CAD or a blueprint of a house, but how are you going to build that house? I don't know any way except without hands and cranes and stuff like that or build that building. You need cranes. Somebody's running that crane. Now, granted, that could be replaced with AI. So in time, and I think it would be a terrible thing if the human race gets replaced by, and if we let it. If we let ourselves get replaced by a machine, 
I, I truly believe we need to rebel against some of that. We can't stop some of it. And some of it's all for the good, but like even a computer, it's just a screwdriver. It's another tool. We're on zoom. It's another tool. Twitter is a tool. Bitcoin's the biggest tool. Thank God it's here. It's the, it's the, the screwdriver and the wrench and the hammer and the pipe wrench against fiat money. But it's just a tool. You know, you hear people say, Bitcoin gave me hope. Well, that's good, but that's, it was the tool. The hope came from within, the person. I think human life is above everything else. I don't understand why it's worth so little to so many people. Uh, and I believe that every human should live the way they want to see. I don't think anybody should live my way except me. I don't try to convert anybody into my life because everybody's different. And people have tried to convert me into their way. And I fought back. I, I assume everybody does the same thing. And you know, when somebody's trying to convert you into something and you know, when you get a bad feeling, you just want to push them away and say, nope, nope, nope. Get away from me. So I hope long-term hope. I think I'll be dead long before that time comes, but I hope we don't let technology <laughs> extinguish humans. I know some people probably think that would be good. I love humans. We're all flawed and we're all fucked up and screwy, but damn, we're funny. We are funny and we're a show that's fun to watch. It's one of the best TV shows is walking outside and watching people, you know, <laughs> So that's how I, I, I really, I love technology, but I have a, I have a, a me versus it sometimes, but that's maybe because I just don't understand all of it. And I, I'm literally a good, lazy son of a bitch. I don't want to put in the time to learn some of the tech because if, if something doesn't interest you, you know, with the homeschooling that you do, for, it's, if something doesn't interest you, you're not going to learn it anyways. So with Bitcoin, all I needed was to find the philosophy. And once I found out, it's like I joke to people, I go, Bitcoin finally caught up to me. That was the best. I didn't fall down a rabbit hole. It found me. Yay. <laughs> you know? So I just, I think it's great. Everything that's happening, just don't let it happen without humans. I think with the, well, technology, it does need us. Humans create all the technology. You know, technology is not, at least to the point with AI and stuff like that, yeah. technology is not creating technology yet. <laughs> it might. And that will be, you know, even Elon Musk has said, it's great, but you worry about who gets a hold of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Because in nefarious hands, all this technology, well, we've already seen it. In nefarious hands, this technology can go real, real bad. In good hands, it's good. You know, but there's always going to be people. There's always going to be people on the fringes of anything. Like, like Bitcoin. Will it ever replace the fiat money system? Shit. I don't know. I wish it would. But it, realistically... 
I don't know. But will there be a whole economy that develops around Bitcoin? Fuck yeah. It already has. And it only will. So then the fiat system, at least it has some competition, <laughs> you know, uh, if it doesn't go away completely. But you, it, being that I spent a lot of time in the third world, you can see a third world system leaving fiat and going to Bitcoin. Because like the Philippine peso, it's just a worthless, it's, 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 it's nothing in this world. <laughs> you know, it doesn't even, it's, it's worthless money. Because uh, it just is, it's a third world country. You know, if they, if it gets somewhere else, but Venezuela, you look at all those countries, their currencies, it, that's why the U.S. dollar and the euro is still holding. It's because Venezuela, the Philippines, and it's just total shit. Ours are crap. Euros and U.S. dollars, total shit. It's just the pile of the shit. It's the top of the shit heap. So it's still winning because everything else is so bad. That doesn't mean it's good. And I don't know. I really don't know how more people don't see that. It still amazes me. Like, like we've got an election coming up. People think it makes a difference who wins. It doesn't. It's never gotten any better. My, my, my spirit animal is, is a uh, Lemmy from Motorhead. Do you know who Lemmy is? No, I don't. Okay. Motorhead. Anyways, look Lemmy up on Google after this. He's my spirit animal. He said it best 20 years ago. He was in an interview. And he said, he's an English guy, so I'm not going to do the accent and make you mad. But he basically said, you keep voting. Does it really ever get any better? No, it gets worse every year. Why do you keep playing? And he's right. I've seen it in my lifetime. Everybody's wound up right now. You see it on Twitter. Wound up. Biden, Trump, Biden, Trump. It's like it doesn't matter because What's really running the show is not the president of the United States. And it's obvious. I don't see why everybody's getting all wound up because whoever goes in as president and it's the same prime minister, it doesn't matter. They're not running the show. There's people, <laughs> conspiracy nut here, there's people in the background and they are running the damn show and we don't know who they are. And if COVID didn't teach that, the whole world did the same thing on the exact same day. The whole world just shut off. The whole world, every country did the same thing. Really? And and we have independence and freedom and borders and all this other bullshit. I don't think I don't think we do. Like passports. Why do we even have passports anymore? It's obvious something's going on here. We, we don't know what it is. And they're real good at hiding themselves. So we won't ever know. I don't think. But just sum it up. The system is what the system is. But you do not have to play along. You can figure out a way, even without a technological background. In this world, you can figure out how to Weave you weave in between the lines of life, and that's it's you just have to if you want to have freedom. You can't 
if you play by the rules, you have no freedom. Some of them, I mean, I'm obviously there's the obvious rules. Don't go steal from people. Don't murder them and do that stuff. But there's a lot of laws on the book that are not right. <laughs> so you just choose not to follow. And I choose not to follow a lot of those crazy laws. And I will pay the price if I get caught. It will happen. But I've gotten really good at it <laughs> so over time. I've had a lot of time and I've put a lot of thought into it. So there you go. In three years, in three years, it may be hard to find me because I'll probably once I get to the Philippines, I got a good I may I may disappear again as much as I possibly can fall off the face of the earth. I may not. I don't know. Maybe I'll be having maybe I'll have my podcast and I'll be having so much fun. I just won't want to. I don't. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Like the final question. Well, no, not the final question because you know what that is. Um, yeah. Yeah. I want people to, well, first of all, thanks for sharing so much of your, your life story and, and being so open and honest and, and coming on the show thanks. us in this stuff. Thanks for asking. You ask. So I get <laughs> I'm a giver, people. What's, um, let, let, let's pitch your, your podcast idea, which was the, the, the original reason that you reached out to me and the original reason we, we had a quick call and it turned into this um, episode. Uh, what, uh, what, <laughs> Say that like it's a bad thing. <laughs> no, podcast episode. <laughs> but what's the, um, what's the idea you're, you're, you're floating around and how can people find you? Because I think it's a brilliant idea and, and I urge any listener to go start a podcast or write that article or write the book or do the meme or whatever it is that they feel that they uh, can add back to the space. And with you, it's a podcast. What, what's the idea? Well, because uh, I don't like typing, so I'm not going to be a blogger. Uh, but once I March came and I found all you guys and then I started listening to podcasts one after another and I was in and I enjoyed the hell out of them and in one way or another all my life has been talking when I was the lead singer of a band I was talking to the crowd when I was a hairdresser I was talking to the person in the chair when I was turning rich into on Harleys I'm talking to the customer uh and believe it or not, as a truck driver, you got that damn CB radio. We don't have it much anymore because everybody's got phones, but you were talking on that. I like to talk. I like to tell stories. It's, it's, I write songs still to this day. I think I've quit, but then a song idea will come to me and I'll just pick the guitar up and pick it. So, And, and I actually have a theme song for my podcast, if it ever happens, <laughs> that I wrote. Uh but listening to all these different podcasts, there's a lot of repeat guests is one thing on a lot of different ones. And I understand it because they're the, the, they're the smart people in the, in the system or in the, in the community. And they're talking that very lofty stuff, which a lot of people love. I love it. <coughs> what I don't see is what I call, as I told you, I don't see that podcast that is the Saturday night at the fucking bar where there's somebody on a bar stool 
there may be a band in the background and you're talking a little loud, you're having drinks and you really get into it. So it's like a virtue to have, because all I've ever really wanted to be was a bar owner. I owned one when I was in the Philippines. Very small. I just want to be, I've wanted to own a bar since I was a kid. I think since Cheers, I wanted to be a bartender and I wanted to own a bar and say, hey, what's up? You know, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, so I can have my virtual bar. And the working title is Barstool's Bitcoin and Bullshit. Because if you had a if you had a bar and it was named Bitcoin Bar, trust me, once you got inside the doors, people, you see it, it's like Twitter, but Twitter come alive. It's talking shit. So it's all bullshit, but it's fun. And on a bar stool, any story can get told. But in the middle of that bar stool's bullshit is the anchor, which is Bitcoin, which is the only reason that got me into podcasts and listening. I never even listened to Joe Rogan until I got on you guys. Rogan was not my first podcast. You guys were. So I keep it there, but it would be just fun. But as I was saying earlier, and I got a joke here, it's the people in Bitcoin. It's the fuel. They're the engine. And there's all of us, like me, like you, were before podcasts. There's a whole bunch of us in the Bitcoin world. We all have a story. We all got a life that led to somewhere. Instead of just what, what, what brought you to the rabbit hole? Well, I want to know what brought you long before the rabbit hole. Just interesting stories because everybody's got one. And it's like everybody could write their life story in a book. Some would be interesting, some wouldn't, but we all got a story. That's what I want to bring out of that. that it's almost like the silent majority of Bitcoin Twitter. You know, there's lots of people. There, there's lurkers out there. We don't even know who they are. They never post a thing up. They just read, right? But there's those of us, the person that's got 80 followers. But you look at his thing and he says some interesting shit. Oh, well, I want to talk to this guy. So it, it's just that. Just bring that guy in. But then my joke is, I wanted if I do it and I get to it, Barstool's Bitcoin and bullshit. I want one time, I want to, I want Breed Love on and I want to see him have fun. I want to see him lose control. I don't want to see that veneer anymore. I want to see if there's a Robert Breed Love that might want to join the circus. Because <laughs> I think there is. I think there's that Robert Breed Love that really wants to join the circus and I can bring him in for an hour or so. <laughs> you know? That's so right there yeah but yeah i was driving down the road the other night and i just started humming a song and uh i went well okay and i kind of sang it i went yep that's the theme song if i start this podcast <laughs> that's the thing right there so i've already got a theme song <laughs> let's let's hit you with the last question and if you had one red pill or orange pill whatever pill color of your choice if you had um just one pill left to give to someone who would that person be and why well i always say being who i am and what i say i always like to say well my next door neighbor 
Because mm-hmm. if I tell my next door neighbor and they tell their next door neighbor and they tell their next door neighbor, that's much more important with the network effects than a famous person. But if I had a famous person that I had to give it to, had to give it to, uh, who's the head of the Federal Reserve? Oh, Jerome Powell. Yeah, I'd give it to him. Right. You know, because if there's anything to stop that train or at least start the brakes, if you could get the head of the Federal Reserve red-pilled, maybe it would probably get him shot and assassinated, but then there's the next one, <laughs> you know, because the CIA ain't going to let that happen. But I would like to see that if Jerome Powell is in there and he's still, yeah, why not? But I really believe the other one, the other case scenario, the next door neighbor, and they tell their next door neighbor and they tell their aunts and uncles and then it spreads like wildfire, I would think. You know, it's kind of like playing like a farmer rows the hoe and puts the seed in there. Not every seed sprouts, but if you throw a whole bunch of seed on the ground, like when you're growing grass, you're going to get a yard. So I believe that if it could just exponentially go from one neighbor to the next one around the world, well, then we're there. That's a great. That would be the easy. Well, Bubba, thanks so much for, for taking the time, man. And uh, you, you well, are closing in on like 4, 5, 6 a.m. in the morning over there, whatever it is. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm still, I still got all day in front of me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. well, Thank you. Daniel, and it was great to meet Lauren. It was good talking with you. Now I now I put a face with the the, the uh, with the crazy Twitter post. Now I've got a face. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure doing this, and uh, look forward to uh, interacting and all the banter on Twitter. And um, I look forward to sharing this episode out, and hopefully, many more people will come and find you, and will volunteer to come on uh, Barstool's yeah. no bullshit. When and best of luck with the show. You got to do it. And thank you for the knowledge you gave me before that I could do it. So, yeah, I hope so. It'll be fun if we do it. Well, reach out anytime if you have any other questions. All right, man. We'll see you. Have a good day. Thanks, man. Hey, guys. Hope you enjoyed that one with Bubba going down his numerous rabbit holes and his decades long journey and fight for freedom and search for bitcoin which he has now found in 2020 full-on class of 2020 love the fact that bitcoin found him eventually and it was just such a light bulb moment for him i can't imagine that feeling that would have washed over him listening to the podcasts, reading the articles, getting into the weeds, and finally finding that missing piece of the puzzle that he's been searching for. As he said, he's been falling down the rabbit hole since 1985 and just hitting roots down along the way until he's he's found Bitcoin. So this is uh, so great to hear. I really appreciate him coming on and sharing as much as he did and being so open, trying to educate those of us that are following in his footsteps 
and especially the the younger crowd that might be listening, the the uh, the Gen Z or the young the younger end of the millennial spectrum. And this message now that life is not linear. College is not the answer to all of your prayers and dreams. That's not going to deliver everything that you want in life, especially now and especially moving forward into this next decade and the decades that follow with the the advent of remote work, for example. You know, that there's not going to be... When you look at the boomer generation, when you look at Bubba's generation and the, the boomers that were perhaps 10 to 15 years older than him in his own generation, life was pretty linear. You could get away with that. That would be no problem. And you were rewarded for it, not just socially, but um, fiscally as well. You know, you get the job, you stick there for 30 years, you grind it out, you get the retirement, you get the pension, you can actually go start finally doing the stuff that you want to do when you're 65 or 70. Unfortunately, the price you've paid is missing your own children growing up and now trying to latch on as much as you possibly can to your grandchildren. Um, that That is not the case anymore. Those jobs, they don't exist, that 30-year role. That does not happen. It will not happen. And you will live a much more rewarding life if you do not go into it thinking in a linear fashion. And listening to Bubba, I mean, this guy, wow, he's been all over the place, reinventing himself as he goes. And look, look what he's, you know, he's, he's, he's happy, he's survived. I mean, the death story was just unbelievable. He survived that. He survived bankruptcy. That was another brilliant story. Just handing the keys back to Citibank. <laughs> uh, there's so much we can learn from, from having this kind of mindset. But as he says, pretty lonely out there when you do have that kind of mindset because the social construct that's been built up around us is so damn regimented that we are and this is why we find ourselves in this position that we're in right now. No one is out there thinking for themselves. No one. We're just waiting. Well, not us, Bitcoin Twitter, not the people that are, are listening to this podcast, but many people that you know. They're just waiting to be told, spoon-fed, by the, by the flapping head on television of what shops you can visit, what shops you can't visit, and who you can visit, and who you can't, and what time of day you can go out. It's utter madness. And as Bubba says, he... he summed it up brilliantly. These are not laws. These are orders. Let that sink in, you know? And, uh, anyway, let's not get into a rant. Otherwise, that might go on for hours. Let's concentrate on stacking some sets and learning from people like Barber and the other guests that are so willing to give up their time and come on the show and share their knowledge and their insights and help us all, myself included, start piecing all of this puzzle together and figuring out the best things we can do now to give ourselves and our families and ultimately our neighbors and our friends and our communities a better shot at a brighter future. Bitcoin gives us that, it gives us that option. It can be exhausting talking about it, uh, <laughs> but spare a thought for the math teacher that's teaching 13 year old, a, a, a class of 30 kids algebra. That's gotta be more exhausting. At least we get to talk about something we truly believe in and love. So I will leave it there. Make sure you go and follow Bubba at Redneck on Twitter. Keep an eye out because he wants to do his own gig. He wants to start his own podcast, which is brilliant. 
and I really look forward to that. I, I think it would be a hilarious podcast and just one to really uh, chill out to and, and get down into the weeds with, with whoever he has on and follow their discussions. Um, it's going to be great if this one was to, anything to go by. So thanks, everybody, for listening. You know who you are, sharing, retweeting, commenting, rating, reviewing. Love it. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, make sure if you're UK-based, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. Obi and the team have your back. Bitcoin only exchange. They are educating as well as offering up great service. Same kind of shout out for swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten over in the US. Doing amazing work. If you want to find out how to start stacking sats, head over to at Friar Hass on Twitter. He's got you covered with all of the different companies. He also is a was a guest on the show. You can go back and, and find him on the uh, the episodes list. And you can do that at once-bitten.com because the website is up and running. Big thanks to at Jim Reaper. Big thanks to at Adam Woodhams One. Big love to everybody listening and taking part in this. And let's go. It's time. The bull run has started. Keep stacking. Hold on tight. And let's see where this takes us over the next two years. Take care, guys. Bye.